Broadcasting from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia to around the globe. You're listening to Shark Bite Biz, your exclusive place for business strategy, sales, marketing, and tech in the roaring 20s. And now, here's your host, David Strausser. And you just arrived to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strausser, and this is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete chaos. You know, in the intro, I always make fun of myself saying that I'm a rock star wannabe. Why do I do that? Well, that's because we actually get, just like today, a literal rock star to come on. I am so excited. First, though, do me a favor. Head on to the Android Play Store, and you can get the Shark Bite Biz app right there. You can download it. You get all the new episodes, audio, video format. It's all there. All the clips that we make. Everything is there for you to consume, and you'll love it. Best part is you can get our coffee brand, deadhousecoffee.com. This is the freshest zombie-themed coffee that is roasted, sealed, and shipped to your doorsteps within 24 hours. Hours. You can get that right there through the app. Use code SHARK. You will get 20% off your order. We'll get all the proceeds, but we'll use them to continue producing the biggest and best show we possibly can. Now, let's get back talking about our rock star guest today. Playing in a rock band was probably a dream of yours at some point, right? I know it was mine. I mean, crap, I got 10 plus guitars over there couple little stacks of amps. I got audio equipment out the kazoo. And it's a bummer, you know? I just uh, realized I don't have that talent to make it. I like it more as a hobby. But when you do make it a career, eventually, if you get good at it, like our guest did, and still with the same band, and you're with the same band for a few decades, you kind of start to realize that you have a lot of other artistic talent that needs to come out, that you have other ways that you want to express yourself. That initial urge of just, you know, playing in front of a stage or opening for Metallica or whatever it may be, just doesn't cut it anymore like it used to. Our guest today, same exact story, and he's going to share his secret about how he has managed all that he is doing between his band, his art, and his brand new NFT collection. So, who do we have today? None other than Mr. Alan Robert. Alan Robert is best known for being the bassist and primary songwriter of the popular New York-based band Life of Agony for over three decades. The group's River Runs Red debut was hailed by Rolling Stone as one of the greatest metal albums of all times. Outside of music, Alan Robert is a prolific artist and storyteller named the King of Horror Coloring Books by Revolver Magazine due to his popularity of his best-selling adult coloring book series, The Beauty of Horror. And you can see right back there, I got a 
awesome copy of The Beauty of Horror 5 sent to me from Alan himself. Thank you so much, and it is amazing. His latest release, The Beauty of Horror 5, Haunt of Fame, is a twisted homage to some of the pop culture's most beloved celebrities and was released last month by IDW Penguin Random House. So, hey, let's bring in this living metal legend, Mr. Alan Robert, right on in here. Creative and innovation tips. Alan, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became Shark Bait. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, I didn't tell you I was going to tell you that during the intro, did I? You did not. <laughs> but my little, little, did you, little did you know, I actually swim with sharks. Oh, you swim with sharks? Yeah. Like, frequently? Certified, certified scuba diver. I've was, I was swam with sharks oh. many times. Oh, wow. That is awesome. So, um, you know, I was thinking maybe I should get like a chum bucket as part of the show, like just a corny <laughs> gig, or maybe... Maybe now with what you're saying, I'm I'm thinking maybe a shark cave. There you go. Yeah, there at least, you go. At least the Jaws theme or something. Yeah, 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 definitely. So we have a tradition on this show. Uh, we ask everybody since the very first episode is, you know, what's your experience? What's your background? I'm sure you're going to have a lot of fan of yours that are always that, you know, they're already here on the show watching. They know this. But I always find it interesting to see what people think of themselves, you know, especially as accomplished as you are. I'd like to hear it out of your mouth. What makes Alan Robert, Alan Robert? Well, yeah, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and a little okay. quiet, quiet kid that would be drawing monsters and stuff in my notebook in the lunchroom at school. And I grew up just trying to uh, draw the grossest, uh, most gruesome scenes that I could imagine. And I made a lot right. of friends like that in school, being a very quiet kid because kids would crowd around me and want to see what I was going to draw next. And um, <laughs> and that was long before I ever picked up a guitar. And um, I ah. ended up going, going to high school of art and design. And then uh, I went to uh, school of visual arts for college on a scholarship. And I had... Um, Walt Simonson, the the famous Thor artist, as a teacher. Okay. Wow. And, and and while I was in college, that's when the band started getting going. Um, we started a band called Life of Agony with a couple of friends, and we oh, yeah. um, we signed with Roadrunner Records um, in my senior year of college. And I had a big decision: uh, was I going to jump in the van and and start touring with Life of Agony, or take my portfolio around? to the comic book companies and see if I could, you know, get a job like getting coffee for a real artist, you know? Um, and wow. so I said, I figured, you know, we, we, uh, we had this one in a million shot to sign with this record deal and record our first album, River on Dread, um, back in 1993. And, mm -hmm. um, I didn't think it was going to last more than six months. And here we are, you know, over 30 years later. Wow. Um, and, uh, and and thankfully, along the way, um, I was able to pursue my dreams of, of being a comic book artist and, and signed a publishing deal in 2010 with IDW. And uh, I haven't stopped since. So um, wow, that, that's, that, that's it in a nutshell, I guess. Yeah, that that's a very humbling version of your history, I guess you could say. But <laughs> it is interesting how, you know, you... you 
you were given a choice uh, and it was like, do I do the art thing? Do I do the rock star thing? Do I do the art thing? Do I do the rock star thing? And, you know, it seems like you definitely found a way to, you know, get your cake and eat it too. You, you had it both ways. It seems like being able to get the art, it happened a little bit later in your life, it sounds like, but you eventually did get the art and you were pretty successful um, with the band. I know, like you just mentioned, River Runs Red. I I re-listened to the uh, album earlier today. And uh, uh, sorry, I apologize. It's been a minute. Uh, but, I, you know, it brings up just so much, um, you know, energy, emotion, stuff like that. Rehearing that music, you know, from from that era, just the the, the tone, the way things are, are recorded. It just, I mean, to me, it just sounds really, really early 90s. And it brings back all those, vibes all the good things i remember i mean what kind yeah. of memories do you have from back then well it, it was a really exciting time i mean i mean um recording our first album in a real recording studio um getting paid by the record label to actually <laughs> rec record our own material was a big thing um mm -hmm. and, and being able to uh not only meet some of our music heroes but to become friends with them over years and um and share stages with the biggest names in rock for three decades it's been an amazing roller coaster experience of highs and lows for the band um you know playing with metallica in front of a hundred thousand people or headlining uh polish woodstock in front of a half a million people um <laughs> it, polish it, it, woodstock just, <laughs> and we and, and we got to play cbgb's you know uh yeah. before it clo closed down we played lemores in brooklyn all these famous clubs um and just befriend some of our music heroes you know we ended up sharing a studio with our friends in anthrax um and i grew yeah. up listening to, to anthrax um way before oh, yeah. I met them and became friends, you know, touring with uh, the Misfits and um, mm -hmm. some of our all-time, all-time greats, you know? Uh, so You know, you, you mentioned the Misfits and it's funny because uh, before, right before September 11th, um, this actually was probably a few months right before, because November, September 11th is when I said goodbye to Pennsylvania and I moved to Tijuana, Mexico for like 15 years. Uh, Long story. I'll tell you after if you want. But uh, I, yeah, I lived down there. But before that, we were in a recording studio and uh, my buddy had a band from the 80s that he was trying to revive this band called Child, C-H-Y-L-D. Uh, and he was a brilliant, brilliant musician. And he, he was like, hey, I'm going to go out, try to get my own uh, recording contract again for the second time, give this rock star thing a second world. And we went up and we got a, a studio. I think it was outside of Scranton, Pennsylvania. And it was right where uh, the Misfits just were the week before recording an album. It would have been, again, 2001-ish. So I imagine the album came out probably 2002. Production times were slower back then, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. but I don't know. That's my little, little Misfits story. <laughs> well, Misfits, they shaped my life. Uh, I've been listening to Misfits since, um, probably, um, the late eighties. Um, and, uh, I've been a super fan, uh, ever since and got pretty close friends with Doyle, the guitar player over the years. Mm -hmm. And he was actually cast in one of my comic books 
that we were talking about a little earlier, uh, Kilogy. Uh, he was one of the characters in that. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> and we brought his uh, his new band Doyle on tour um, in Europe, and we had a had a blast. He would come on stage with us and and play one of our songs too. Wow, that that is awesome when you can get that, you know that that friendship to where with somebody like from Misfits uh, to be able to even just come on stage to play one of your songs with you. I mean. That I mean, it's weird because it's like you're you're living a dream in a way, but yet for somebody like you, I mean, I'm sure in in other ways that's got to still be like, wow, this is a dream come true, you know. Oh, Even yeah, after absolutely. everything that you've done in your life, you know, having him come on stage and play one of your songs with you, that's like holy cow, you know. And, we made and it. knowing, yeah, and knowing that you know that song, he he loves. Um, other side of the river on our second album, ugly. And mm -hmm. he would work out, he would work out to it all the time. It was like a good workout <laughs> song for him. And so that was the song that he would come and play with us every night. It was, a, it was great. It was an awesome experience. So I've got to ask one more fandom question and then we'll get into uh, the business side of things. And the fandom, you, you said that you've played with people from Metallica to everybody out there. I mean, who, who, who has been the biggest influence on you as a bass player throughout your, your career as inspiration wise, stuff like that? I mean, is there one, two, three names that you think that probably really shaped how you are? Yeah. I mean, it would definitely be uh, Cliff Burton from Metallica yeah. who passed away and uh geezer Butler from black Sabbath. And, and we played with Ozzy, several times over the years and black Sabbath wow. when they, when they did the uh, reunion and mm -hmm. um, we played the Ozfest 98 and that was all around America, but they did one show in England and um, where we sh shared the stage with black Sabbath. I mean, that was wow. after, after that, how do you, how do you go on? Right. Um, yeah. But, but in, in between the Ozfest States, um geezer had a side band called gzr and they would open up for life of agony in little clubs um and there was a lot of times where the stages were kind of small and mm -hmm. and and geezer would end up playing through my rig and i was <laughs> like i was like this has been blessed you know it was like yeah, yeah. uh you know, he's playing through my equipment. It was just uh, that's kind of mind blowing. So I've done a couple, a couple live shows, business events, and you know, people that listen to my podcast here regularly, they they know this because I, I've probably said it. Uh, we've what do we have? 125 episodes. I've probably mentioned it about 75 times. <laughs> but I've had uh, the verb pipe with Brian Vanderark at one of the shows, and then the other one was uh, William Hung. You remember William Hung? You know, the the she bangs guy from American Idol. Right. Yes. So I mean, believe it or not, both those people have amazing, amazing uh business stories. And then you get them for happy hour and uh William Hung sings She Bangs. And uh <laughs> you know, Brian Hart, uh Brian Van Der Ark will do uh the freshman. So both really, really famous songs and they're famous. Uh uh, you know, William Hung is famous in his own right, but I got the same vibes 
that you got with him playing through your equipment as, uh, you know, I got those same vibes when I had William Hung singing, <laughs> singing <laughs> she bangs with my microphone. Okay. <laughs> you know, so I had to, I had to get him signed the mic. We're good friends to this day, but I got signed the microphone and it's something I just put in a little baggie, put away, you know, even Alice Cooper, he's used one of uh, my microphones for another side of it. We did. And, um, that's, you can, I might not see it on the episode, but you should be able to see my pick one of my pictures with Alice there. And we're there after the show. Mm -hmm. And I always picked on my wife and I was like, uh, Raquel, you look like Alice Cooper. My wife's Peruvian. And you know, she, I don't know. She looked like a young Alice Cooper that was feminine, I guess. And, uh, <laughs> I've always picked on her for that. She hated me for that. So when I finally met him and I'm like, Hey, so this is actually my wife's mic that she used for the song. And it, it was like um, a Sure SM58 or something like that, 57, whatever it is. But anyways, you know, I had him sign it and I'm like, here's my wife, you know, like I told her, you guys are twins. You know, he lost it. And he, he wrote that, uh, Raquel, we're twins. Love you, Alice. <laughs> and that's what the microphone says to this day. She won't use it. She won't use it. She hates me for it. I ruined the microphone, according to her. <laughs> but, you got you to gotta, you gotta put it in a glass case or something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I do. I have so much memorabilia. That's my problem. Uh, I just met so many people along the way that it just it's piled up in my studio slash office where I'm at right here, just in boxes. I don't even have place to display it anymore. It's hard. You've yeah. got to probably be the same way. You're probably even worse than I am. I would imagine with all the stuff you've collected. It's the worst. It's the worst. I'm running out of room. You know, just of my own books, <laughs> uh, you know, where, where do you store my own books? Um, yeah. No, I have way too much stuff. Uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely hear you. So let's talk about the business side of things. There's a, a couple different areas that we can talk about. Let's jump into first. You have, um, as far as your, your beauty of horror five, which is your haunt of fame coloring book, which has, just been released from what i i'm seeing here and you know when you create a coloring book like that what kind of creativity goes into that because i mean it's not like you're you're writing a book you know you're, you're doing a coloring book and you're not even you know you're, you're giving blank pages to people so that <laughs> they can color it you know that that's a different level of creativity in my point uh, you know my point of view uh, how easy, how hard is it? How do you have to think differently doing those things? Can you explain that creative process? Well, I'll take it back to 2016 because that's really when I came up with The Beauty of Horror and pitched it to the publisher because I had never done a coloring book yeah. before. I, I had been drawing comics and graphic novels for the company for a few years. And, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, adult coloring books were coming out all the time. But all the coloring books I kept seeing were nature-based and, mm -hmm. you know, animals and patterns and mandalas. And there was nothing for horror fans. And I'm a huge <laughs> horror fan. So I was like, we need a, we need a horror coloring book. And um, they gave me the quickest green light that I got with the company. And, and it was on wow. April Fool's Day. So I wasn't <laughs> sure if they were messing with me or not. But... <laughs> But they were they had been wanting to get into the coloring book game and and this was an opportunity to do that. And um once they said yes, I was like, great, but now I have to fill 88 pages 
of, you know, pages with, like you said, blank pages. Blank you know? pages. What, so, so it was like, okay, make, make my list of all the things that are horror related, all the horror characters that I could think of, and just go down the list. You know, this was a big task. And I really wanted to knock it out of the park because this was go I was like speaking for horror fans. This was this was our right. chance to have a horror adult coloring book. And um sure enough, when it came out in September of 2016, it it just exploded. And um it was in the Wall Street Journal and uh GQ and uh we did a uh, a video to promote it that went viral and got something mm-hmm. like seven and a half million views. Um, wow. And I wish just one of my podcast episodes would get seven and a half. This is the one I could feel. This it. is it right here. <laughs> uh, but but that was really uh, the the really the spark um, because about halfway through the book of drawing all these monsters and stuff, I came up with this character called Guliana, which is like this little undead ghoul girl that kind of messes with the colorist to find things to unlock uh, some you know, terrors that she has planned. And, and she's really uh, a rambunctious type of character that is really looking to twist the mind of uh, the colorist. And um, she became... Oh, hold the, on. So you, even in your, your coloring books, you have specific characters that have roles, it sounds like. Yes. And there's a, there's a family of characters. You know, I just kept expanding yeah. on her, Guliana's world. And from book to book, uh, every book I gave a theme. So, uh, Beauty of Horror 2, we went inside Guliana's Preparatorium, which is like a museum of oddities. And mm-hmm. Beauty of Horror 3 was Haunted Playgrounds, which was all carnival themes. And so each one really has a theme for me to kind of sink my teeth into and really explore. Right. So, with that, okay, the one question then that still remains for me, and Maybe you said it and I just didn't get it. But when you're going through that design process, I mean, how did you figure out like, hey, what are these? Okay, so I get it. You're doing the story. Okay, doing the story is easier. But I mean, was it like a a mind game for you as far as drawing the blank images or the uncolored images? And like, how do you balance that as far as what you vision in your head versus giving the person who's buying the book the artistic freedom to color in that character or that scene how they see it, which could be different than how you see it. I mean, does that play into it? The cool thing is I'm not a colorist by by trade. You know, I, I I color my own graphic novels because I have to, and I will, we could get into that later. <laughs> um, but um, this was actually kind of a pleasure because I just had to draw the line art. And if you go okay. on Instagram, Instagram or whatever, there's thousands of colors coloring these beauty of horror books, and they're fantastic. They're beautiful, and you could see the same one page. Uh, colored 20 different ways, you know, uh, mm-hmm. with different different styles, different mediums, uh, you name it. So for me... Sounds like uh, that's something that you you end up checking out. It's not like when you're one of those people that are released the book and you check out, you're actually checking to see 
what people are doing with your art. Absolutely. I'm very Does that give you the warm and fuzzies, give you the goosebumps? Like, holy shit, people it, actually like this. It does because it's <laughs> kind of like an, an art project with right. strangers. You know, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll wow, draw, yeah. the, draw this page and what can you do with it? What can you, and, you know, you get people from all over the world, you know, Ukraine, mm -hmm. wherever, um, posting up beautiful pages. And it really is a lot more interactive than, writing a graphic novel, putting it out, and then meeting the fan at the occasional Comic-Con, you know? This is like right. an every, everyday interaction with fans and um, and people that, that love this world. And uh, it's you think really that, a pleasure. Do you think that everyday interaction with fans, do you, have, do you think that that really helps you keep more grounded as far as, you know, where your design goes, your image goes, just your your mentality because it's not like you're living in a bubble then thinking what people may or may not want you're you know you're there you're talking with them on a regular basis and you're able to kind of get that feedback directly from the source instead of getting it you know filtered up five different layers through a publisher or something yeah it, it, it's inspiring too it inspires me to uh, tackle new designs, knowing how people tend to color certain areas of the page or certain line work that uh, I've done and to see what works and what doesn't work in real time. It's, it's really interesting, actually. Yeah, no, that 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 does sound pretty, pretty awesome. And I'm looking here, you know, at your, your page, I got a million window browser windows open for you. But I'm looking at, you know, your, your design, your art, it is, it's amazing. I mean, it is really one of those very, you know, I, I think it's one of those unique styles because it, it's one of those things that I personally feel are, you know, it's hard to pull off. I think there's a lot of people out there that attempt to to these types of things, but they don't necessarily they don't do it right or you know it, it doesn't i don't know it looks forced yours actually looks to me when i it's really natural meaning that it's a like this is how this art i feel should be whenever i vision of this it's like that picture perfect image is that just you know practicing over time is that based off of feedback i mean how do you fine tune your art to to this level because it is a very niche style art i purposely push myself so going mm -hmm. back to the very first comic series that i did with idw called wire hangers back in 2009 2010 um that was a very atmospheric lots of textures lighting effects and then when i moved on to crawl to me and Killogy, the art was very flat almost uh, very Hellboy-esque. Um, and so to tackle Beauty of Horror without any color, any shadows, any um, different variation of line weights, I had to retrain mm -hmm. myself in a way to refrain from, oh, well, this really needs that really thick line because every line is the exact same line weight throughout the whole series. So mm -hmm. just to draw in that way to create depth in a page, um, was was tricky and and still is tricky you know uh there's certain techniques that i discovered along the way that help um create uh separation of characters and backgrounds without using shadow or or uh 
you know, inking mm-hmm. tricks. Yeah, no, that that's great. And, you know, I've seen some of your images. I was trying to find it right here, but like one of the images that you had was like uh, Bob Ross as a zombie, I believe. That's pretty, <laughs> pretty gnarly. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, I'm going to steal that. I'm going to steal that and put that on one of my dead house coffee bags. So thank you. <laughs> Sue me later uh, for it. <laughs> the, whole, the, the whole uh, new book is all actually dead celebrities. It's like an homage to uh, celebrities that I grew up on that have passed um, and kind of, you know, you know, put some humor into it. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Bob Ross, for example, he's one of those, uh, he's one of those funny, funny ones that, I don't know, he's always kind of been famous, but it seems like only maybe last five to 10 years with, with the dang internet, it seems like he got into like meme famous status and just yeah. kind of launched mm-hmm. up into the, the stratosphere. Is that part of the reason why he's in that from a business perspective point of view as well, too? I mean, people like Bob Ross stuff. Well, talking about business uh, with Bob Ross, I don't know if you saw the Netflix documentary about him recently, but... um, No, I have not. You should check it out. There's a a lot of crazy business dealings in that whole Bob Ross universe. Oh, oh, wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Guess what I'll be doing tonight? <laughs> I, I just watched the Lula, uh, Lula Rowe documentary uh, on Amazon. So that was a good business one, but I'd love to hear the story there with, uh, with Bob Ross. Now with your other books that you have out because this is the beauty of her five so this is the the newest one but it wasn't your first one how many books do you have again that's in the whole series well there's five of the larger volume books, right and and then there's um two i figured uh, that i figured that out because it was the new one's called the beauty of horror five. So that was a big <laughs> clue, <laughs> but, uh... but, but yeah, there's more books in this series. Like you said, there's a Halloween special and a Christmas special. Those are smaller coloring books. And then there's something called a beauty of horror haunt this journal, which is a guided journal um, where uh, the reader can really destroy the pages as they make their way through like a bunch of supernatural prompts um that one's a, lo- a lot of fun and then we did um the beauty of horror tarot card sets there's uh, oh, a colorable, yeah. colorable set and there's a full color set that was colored by my buddy jay photos who does uh the color work for lock and key um mm-hmm. super talented guy yeah so when you're you're going through all these things though i mean how do you decide okay what product is going to to be next like you're saying for example you have your book of horror five that's up but then you have the tarot cards or you have your christmas book i mean how do you make those business decisions is it something that just does it just spark you like um like a song would like hey this is where the creatives (laughs) call me can we make a product out of this or how does that start with you i think every product is different and it really depends on relationships and strategy um so just to give you an example i have a buddy at NECA toys um Mm -hmm. uh, a really big uh music fan too and uh, and we know each other for years and he's friends with my wife and everything um so we're gonna do a beauty of our action figure um you wow. know, based on based on Guliana. So that's gonna that's gonna come out probably in in the new year. 
Um, so that was just, you know, a friendly chit chat over beers, you know, like you want to do this and we've been wanting to work together. And so, yeah, we're working on the packaging now. Um, so like, it could be as easy as that, or it could be like uh, a strategic meeting with a publisher and, and say, well, this, this volume sold X amount of copies, uh, in this format, should we try it in uh, a different price point? Um, with uh, maybe instead of double-sided pages, one-sided pages with perforated pages that people can rip out the artwork and put it on their wall, you know, and trying different things um, and okay. see how it does, you know? And so- Kind of like a, a real-life A-B test. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think the commitment is is about the pre-sales and if they can get enough uh big stores to come on board uh, for the launch, then that will dictate how, you know, prominent it will appear in a Walmart or a Target. Mm-hmm. They do it end cap or, you know, we've done uh, video um, commercials inside mm-hmm. Target and things like that, um, that I've been involved with that, you know, I, I'm very DIY. I don't know if you could tell, but, yeah. Yeah. but I, I have a lot of friends um, in different worlds and I try and, you know, combine them to make the best possible experience. And, and it's a lot of fun for me. You know, I've discovered one thing that whether it's making music or, or art, I love the process of like, you know, jotting an idea down on a napkin and bringing it to a full fledged tangible thing mm-hmm. um, that it's not even about what happens after it. It's just about the journey to make it real. Yeah, yeah. I just had that that same discussion with one of our guests earlier today. Now we were talking about the sales cycle and us going through, like, hey, look, uh, for example, I do tech ERP, small business software. So with Vision 33, whenever I get SAP business one and we go through that journey with a customer, I'm helping them really reform their business, automate their software, you know, their their automate their business, make their processes flow smoother. So that way, you know, you don't have to have 50 employees doing spreadsheets. It's all there in the one time real life system. And whenever we close the deal, you know, to see that, I mean, it's kind of really like they say, the art of the deal, because it is almost a creative cycle that you're going through when you're designing these systems on how to help people and then you finally close the deal i get goosebumps man and it's probably you know that to me is the equivalent of you know i told you earlier i play guitar probably nowhere near the level of the guitarist that you play with but i uh you know i got guitars to me that's the creative process like i go through and i can write a song I feel the same way. It's just when I get done closing a deal. Is there's something really rewarding about it? You know, when when, and I'll go out and I'll buy my own book for good luck. You know, every time. You know, it, that, <laughs> that's awesome. There's nothing, there's nothing like it. You know, go to the store and buy it and hold it in your hands for the first time because you know I'm working on the computer. I'm drawing on paper, scanning stuff in. I never see it until I go buy it. I never see right. it for real. Yeah, yeah, I do the the same exact thing. Whether it's merchandise for my show, whether it's our our coffee, whatever it may be, I end up buying it myself half the time. But even though I can just go in there and just be like order samples and just do it, I, I still just 
I mean, it's like, hey, the money goes back to me eventually. <laughs> anyway, so does it really matter? Uh, maybe I don't get the full thing back, but I still get what I would have, you know, got sure. that I'm paying extra, most of it. So it, it's, uh, you know, I still do it. I kind of feel you with that. Now, one of the things that uh, you do have that's coming out that's pretty exciting is the now we're going to get back on to uh the band back with your your music and the life of agony because you have two pretty exciting things happening there right first one is you have nfts right well yeah that's brand new so i am a newbie in that space um <laughs> but i i have some friends at uh the company way too digital that specialize in creating nfts and doing it on a top level with some really high profile people. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and I was really inspired by uh, the popularity of Board Ape, Yacht Club, and, mm -hmm. and, and some of these other ones um, to draw my own NFTs. And with, right, right, right. with algorithms, um, I would draw these, uh, these monsters and through the algorithms from way to digital, they would churn out 10,000 unique monsters eating different kinds of gross food and that is something that i wanted to do and we called it uh monster chompers and uh created another universe uh, that these monsters go to this all-night eatery pick out crazy items from the menu and just chat you know they're chowing down and there's uh, ten thousand, ten thousand unique nfts in the collection that is yeah no that's pretty awesome and just to clarify i did uh mess up there uh it that is with your the monster chompers is part of the the beauty of horror collection not with life of agony right well it's actually something completely separate um oh, it's separate from both of those okay yeah yeah it's a okay. brand new brand new ip um i developed just for the nft collection but i do plan on doing some books with these monsters as well Okay. Okay. So that's pretty awesome. So anybody that's new out there with NFTs, uh, you know, what that is, non-fungible tokens, you've probably seen it. It's popular in the crypto world. It's basically something that is an average, you know, like an address that lives on the blockchain more or less. And they can go to you know, this specific, um, I, I guess it would be like crypto address or whatever you would want to call it. And you go there and you're able to see this image, but it's a one of a kind image. I mean, when I say one of a kind, you, like you have 10,000 unique digital, digital collectibles that you're doing. So there's 10,000 of them, but each one is a one of a kind, correct? Yeah. So when... When the uh, company churns them out with their algorithms, there's different mm -hmm. levels of rarity based on characteristics of the monsters, characteristics ah. of the food items. There is, uh, and it and it will tell you how rare um, that particular NFT is. And I I kind of think of it, of it like collecting baseball cards as a kid, you know. But this is something not tangible. Um, yeah, it, it it's the same concept except you can't hold it in your hand. Um, but the cool thing about NFTs is that through the blockchain uh, information, you can see all the transactions on how these pieces of art have been traded and resold, and you could see that it's authentic. And um, 
you know, that's something here to stay. So it's really exciting and, and a different way to view um, digital art in general. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it really is. And people are starting to do some very creative things on the blockchain. I mean, yes, obviously the art stuff like that, NFTs is cool and interesting, but we've had the president of the micronation Liberland uh, which is a newer country. He's been on the show. And um, I'm actually a permanent, an e-permanent resident of Liberland now. <laughs> and the podcast is registered in Liberland. We're Liberland Corporation. So, wow. uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyways, you know, he was on here. And how what this does with the blockchain is the way that they do things, they believe they're of a libertarian mindset. So they go very like, hey, we want to be very transparent and you know, have things in front of the people. So they actually have every single action the government takes, okay? Whether it's a legal item, whether it's a new law they're proposing, whatever it is, every action the government takes is registered to the blockchain in order to limit fraud. Uh, because anybody can see that transaction. It's not like you can just, oops, that parking ticket just disappears. But no, it's there forever. It is stuck. Uh, and it, I thought that was a really, really innovative way of uh, you know pushing, they're calling it democracy 2.0, the newest evolution. But I thought that was a very innovative way of using the blockchain. And it kind of correlates over to, how you you know companies like you all or how people are selling their memes and stuff like this mm -hmm. as these nfts do you really think you know a couple of years from now that these nfts are going to be something that that really take off as far as being the digital version of baseball cards well it's really interesting because you know some of them you could, as a creator, you can um, you could allow the sale to come with copyright and commercial usage or not. Mm -hmm. So potentially, like you could take on certain ones that allow you to to do that. You could take a board ape um, and use it in a marketing campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, so it's really interesting um, how <laughs> some some of these collections are available for commercial use um mm -hmm. it, it's a di it's a different way to use the art yeah and to celebrate and celebrate it too yeah no definitely definitely and it is really um that is you know it's pretty pretty awesome i'm looking at some of these images and i'm sorry just blown away like uh uh, the woman that you have with the plate of spaghetti with all <laughs> the different like food items going around i mean that is that's pretty awesome and i'm not a big one on nfts because i've kind of been hedging my bets because i'm sure you've seen the headlines i mean there's some that are going for millions right now yes, yeah. uh, it, mm -hmm. it, it's it's pretty crazy so i've been holding back like trying to figure out is this a fad or is this the future if it's the future i want to get in as deep as i can <laughs> you know it, but the yeah. other part of me says Hold on a second. I mean, is this a fad though too? And that's where I kind of pull back. But from a perspective of somebody like you with what you're doing and what this company's doing with that algorithm to bring up 
the 10,000 unique combinations of these uh, these collectibles. I mean, I think that's a, a smart thing because, you know, with how they're randomly generated, it's not like you're doing, you, you have to actually draw out 10,000 unique combinations. You know what I mean? No, but uh, I tell you, it, it's a little tricky because the different features and I created everything by by hand. So right. they all had to work together and there's a lot of um, trial and error to see, you know, which set of eyes are going to work with which monster faces and, and things like that. So it was a little oh. bit of a, yeah, it was a little involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was definitely involved from that aspect. So like when you're talking about the combination, are you talking even with the monsters, like the eyes will change on them and everything? Oh, yeah. And then. Yeah. But then do you have to make sure the eyes work then on every monster? Are you able to say like, hey, the eyes won't work on XXX. So in the algorithm, make sure they can't match up. Yeah, there there are certain rules for certain monster faces that, you know, oh, wow. th this pair of sunglasses won't work with them, you know, or uh, right. this, this type of food doesn't require utensils, you know, mm -hmm. uh, because some, some of them have forks, knives, skewers, chopsticks. Uh, but then you get an ice cream cone. You don't need you don't need utensils for that. Right, right, right. How, how long did it take you to go through that whole process from start to finish? Uh, I'd say a month. A month? Yeah. That's not that bad. Well, yeah, I'm drawing. You know, nine, ten hours yeah. a day. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. I mean, still, I mean, it's, you're doing nine, ten hours a day. Don't get me wrong. That's more than a full day's worth of work. But I mean, to hammer it through in a month. So it, it comes up with the obvious question. I mean, you have you have the band, you have all these different coloring books. You're now uh, adding on another line with your NFTs that you're doing. So then, how do you manage your your time? How do you manage your routine? You know, how do you balance this versus that? Plus, I mean. You mentioned that you have uh, your wife, so the family, all that stuff. What's your trick? Because you're managing multiple businesses, and they, all these businesses are high profile, you know, high priority type type businesses that put you out in front of a lot of people. That's got to be stressful, man. It can be, yeah. <laughs> it, it's <laughs> you know, it's it's always hustling, you know, uh, especially you know, uh, these are all small businesses, so you know, running mm -hmm. your own small business, you know, for, from your own experience, you know, to running multiple small businesses at the same time, um, it could be challenging, but I try and uh, balance, you know, the, the band stuff, there's certain uh, schedules for touring. And mm -hmm. I usually have to work around that to do the other projects. So that's, that's the main priority you, because you're saying the big priority is the band. Well, I mean, there's more people involved, right? So right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell them, Hey, I'm going to work on this book and you guys could sit home, you know? So mm -hmm. when, when, when everyone in the group and the band can get together and do tours, I'm there. And if I have to bring, you know, an iPad pro on the road to draw uh, at night or whatever, I'll do that. Uh, and there was a long period of time about eight years uh, in the early 2000s um, that I worked uh, uh, as a creative director in mm -hmm. the city for a web company. And I still maintained the band. Um, and I had a, a, a very flexible company that would let me disappear for four weeks and go on tour and come back and, you know, reclaim my role. Wow. I, 
um that, so that's that's just awesome right there like uh hey mr company do you mind uh, <laughs> uh I, I gotta go play a rock star for four <laughs> weeks it kind of reminds me like i remember when um uh you're up in new york so i imagine you're not an eagles fan but it reminds me of when the eagles went to the super bowl in 2004 and they needed a backup player and they got like this retired ex player that they picked off the street that was working construction. And they were like the dude, like they called him up, but he hasn't played in like two years, but they needed him. I don't know why they didn't get someone else, but right. they wanted this dude for whatever reason. And he had to call up like his, uh, like, Hey dude, the, the Eagles just, called me to play in the Super Bowl and I need off for like two weeks. I mean, that that's like what you're telling me reminds me of that story. And uh, it, it, it's, that's kind of cool. I mean, that's unique. Yeah. I mean, I did it as long as I could juggling both, you know, until yeah. the band got really super busy and, and I had to, you know, I had to leave the company, but, um, but, but the schedule now, like between the band and the art, uh, I've been able to balance it uh, really well and actually, you know, um, working out of a home office and being being around my family a lot more, especially in, in the last year and a half during COVID. Um, it's, it's been it's been really uh, the thing that got me through it and keep me mm -hmm. in a positive head you know, just to stay busy with the art and stay creative. That's good. That's good. So COVID, I mean, how has that been? Who are you all in the band? Every musician that we've had on here so far has been like, it's, you know, it's been hard. I've had to innovate. I've had to do things like uh, Patriot and sending out some song lyrics because, I mean, I'm not talking to the superstars like uh, uh, Steven Tyler or Metallica type people. I'm talking, you know, lower profile type stars that are still you know, respected and giggable type people, but, you know, they're not super rich to where they could just take two years off of uh, uh, work, essentially. They figure out some alternative. I mean, how yeah. hard has that been for Life of Agony and for, for yourself? Well, it's been challenging for all of us. I mean, it's been, you know, and basically take away, you know, your livelihood. Um, everything's on hold for the band, except... We were fortunate enough before COVID to start the process of um, creating a documentary about the band um, mm -hmm. called the Sound of the Sound of Scars, and um, uh, our music uh, video director Lee Brooks from the UK. Um, he really was like the mastermind behind this project and started following us all over the road before COVID and and getting interviews with with everyone involved in the band as well as our families and really tell the story of how everyone's connected and, and the origins of the band and, and how it has affected so many people around the world uh, on an emotional level. Um, and it's a really heavy film. And so we, we uh, were working on that during the pandemic and we actually mm -hmm. did a, uh, a limited two week director's cut screening uh, virtually uh, during the pandemic. And we raised money for That's charity awesome. and, um, and fans got a, a, you know, the first look at it and it's going to come out worldwide next year. Worldwide next year. That is definitely 
something. And we're going to make sure that we definitely put that um, that link in the description down below. So uh, a couple more questions, if you don't mind, then we'll uh, we'll let you run out there and do your thing. But uh, you know, the first one I, I wanted to ask you here, that this uh, probably be back uh, the music fandom thing. You played the whole world, it sounds like. Where was your favorite place to play? I would say in Europe, you know, it, Europe has been so great to Life mm -hmm. of Agony over the years. And when we first got there in 93, 94, um, on the River on Dread tour, um, we we connected with those fans on a different level that we still see the same faces coming 30 years later. You know, wow. it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, I, I have some of my best friends live there that we met over there on tour that they come from Europe and stay at my house. Um, you know, you know, like we've made lifelong friendships just from touring over there for so many years. And, and really, uh, it would it would be like tour the states, go back to Europe, you know, up and back all the time. And we uh, we really uh, we put the time in, and um, and we created another home for ourselves. That's that's great. Any specific place of Europe? I know all our European viewers are like, but where in Europe, David? Where? <laughs> well, we, the know, big we place. Played, we we played all over, and and, and so many cool all over. Venues. That's awesome. Uh, uh, you know, Holland, Belgium, Germany, right. France. Um, How much of that, though, is because of just the experience as far as maybe who you were playing with or how good you felt the gig was versus actually just loving the city or the people? Like, how does that balance out for you? I think it's a combination because we mm -hmm. had such a good good time on a personal level with the people right. there. And the shows were just over the top full of energy mm -hmm. um and just the excitement for this type of music really never died there's you know in, in the united states there's lots of trends that go up and down and uh, sometimes you don't hear about heavy music for a couple of years but europe has been consistently really strong for this type of music yeah you know that's that's one um thing i feel what's your take on the current you know the the rock style whether you want to say heavy metal to heavy rock classic whatever type of rock you're talking just rock in general what's your take on the future of rock because that is something that that i'm concerned about i mean there's a few newer bands that i'll see out but uh you know, it doesn't seem like there's that many younger bands out there willing to to carry the torch to kind of carry on legacies of stuff like what you started or other bands before you have started. I don't know. I'm kind of worried. What do you feel? I'm one of those guys that have like the original iPod, the really thick one. Yeah. yeah. You can't update it. You, I couldn't. I haven't been able to update it with new music in probably a decade and i'm okay with that you know <laughs> exactly <laughs> so that's where i'm at with it i don't really go seeking yeah. out new music uh i like what i like i like the stuff i grew up on it never really gets old for me um if there is a new band that i see that catches my eye i'll buy the record on itunes or whatever uh like um i saw royal blood open up uh, i think for i Black like Sabbath. royal blood yeah, really like them. And um 
I picked up the record, you know. Um, but it's few and far between, you know. For yeah. me. The same, the same here. I mean, there's a couple bands. I think one of the newer ones that I kind of like maybe have been like the Strokes, for example. I don't know. They kind of got like a um I got the song stuck in my head now. Uh, but I, I, I like the, you know, or what, Greta Van Fleet, because, you know, like everybody has the Zeppelin comparisons. Yeah, they sound a little bit like Zeppelin. I, I agree. I like some of the, the newer music. But, I mean, if you look at what I'm putting on, I mean, it's going to be more like the ACDC. Give me a 90s rock hit list or a 90s metal hit list, you know, mm -hmm. top hit list or 80s or whatever I'm feeling. I'm not really searching anything for probably like maybe 2005 after. <laughs> I'll tell you, the gorillas, you know, the, the, the gorillas? gorillas. Yeah, the gorillas is, is probably one of my uh, go to's when I'm drawing because I just like to catch a visual visual on, a, you know, I, I'll put like a video playlist because everything's mm -hmm. all an animated. Um, and, um, it's really cool to draw to. Um, so that's, that's like one of the bands that, man, I, I would love to make an animated band. That would be cool. That, that might have to be a future project. There we go. I think we just, uh, we just got your future art project here, you know, like zombie-ish type of uh, <laughs> yeah, rock yeah. band. Yeah. There you go. You, you, you're, you know, you, your next single with Life of Agony. <laughs> Whenever you come out with a new song, it should just be an animated video. Do do that as your test. See what people yeah. think of it. And if they think it's good, then go full into making the animated bed. There you go. So last question uh, that we'll get wrapped up here is, um, I'm sure you're going to have a lot of fans of your band, of your artwork, of you in general, probably watching this show you probably got more fans on my show than i got watching my show so i think we're in a good spot <laughs> to ask this question but tell us a story life of agony anytime that uh i, I guess it's not a well-known story tell us any one pick one i'm sure there's a number of stories out there you have any like any tour story or tell, tell us a tour story a recording story something that isn't very well known i need to get a secret story out of you <laughs> well i the thing that comes to mind is one of our very first venture from driving from brooklyn new york all the way out to the west coast to play the whiskey go-go uh, yeah, and and we drove cross country three days straight, no hotel rooms, Ooh. and uh, I was the first one to drive the van and trailer, and uh, I got pulled over before we even got uh, out of New York, and I got a mm -hmm. ticket, and uh. um, and everyone was like, "That's it, you're not driving ever again," and I never drove again, and um, <laughs> <laughs> I just hold on, hold on. you didn't even get out of New York, and you got a ticket. Uh, absolutely but oh, i was man. i was I, I was in the left lane right and a cop comes behind me and i was trying to be a nice guy and like get out of his way so put my signal on went into the right lane <laughs> pull over ticket for changing lanes rec recklessly oh my god I, so i was look. so i was fine with not driving for the rest of the tour but um yeah. <laughs> we drove across country we finally get to uh, LA after three days without a shower or whatever and no reservations at the hotel uh, we slept in the van 
<laughs> and by that time, the van was still no showers. Apart. Still no showers. And we pull up to the whiskey, beautiful sunny day, and our windshield wipers wouldn't stop moving <laughs> up and down. <laughs> oh, that's, how we, that's how we pulled up to the whiskey. And who, who'd you play with? Did you play by yourselves that night or were you opening for somebody? We were playing with the Jenna Torturers. I don't know if you ever heard of them, but they no. were kind, of, kind of like a metal band mixed with like a SM show. And uh, <laughs> they, were, they were too. Body, body piercings on stage and all kinds of crazy stuff. And Glenn Danzig came out. That was the first time that we, uh, okay. we met Glenn. And um, with our busted up van. Uh, yeah. yeah, those are those are the days. Do you, uh, did you end up going to, uh, what's it called? The, uh, the Rainbow, Rim, uh, yeah, Rainbow, Rainbow yeah. yeah, Rainbow right across the street, pretty much, right? Uh, yeah, it's right on the, on the same yeah. block. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right on the same block out there. Um, so I've been whiskey a go-go. I've been there twice for music. One time, uh, it was uh, Hollywood Vampires, uh, which was really cool because Joe Perry is my idol, uh, most coolest guitar player I think ever. I got a got an Aerosmith tattoo, man. That's how die hard I am. Yeah. Dedicated. Okay. Yeah. Dedicated. How was Johnny Depp? Johnny Depp uh, was pretty was pretty awesome. But anyways, hey, this has been fun. You have fun here today, Alan. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Oh, that's great. Oh, no problem. So, hey, you got a couple of different areas that people are able to reach out. Where do you prefer people find you? You've got the comic book of horrors. You have your NFTs covered up. You have the band. What's the preferred link? How can people digitally stalk you? <laughs> Just go to alanrobert.com and everything's oh, there. It's that, really you made easy. It, yeah, yeah, that is easy. That is so much easier than I made it sound. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's oh. my hub for everything. I just throw everything on oh. there. <clears throat> uh, that's awesome. Hey, Alan, thank you so much. Really appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, it would be great next year getting it back on as far as talking about how the Monster Choppers, the NFTs, actually went. And, uh, you know, we could even do a quick episode because of the fact that this is such a new industry. I know a lot of people are wondering about NFTs. Like I mentioned earlier, they're cold feet. So sure, go yeah. in all the way. Is it a fat, you know, and hearing your experience and how it went, you know, a year down the road, I think will really open a lot of the business minds that are on this show that have been on the fence. So yeah, uh, I'd love, love for you to, to check that. back in with us. Thank cool. you very much, sir. And uh, rock on. Yeah, have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Wow. Such an incredible, awesome chat with Alan, right? I had to get some fandom questions in there. I had to get some random questions in there about music. I had to talk about the NFTs, the coloring books everything. It was amazing. I hope you loved it just as I did. But first, if you did find this insightful, do us a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. And if you really want to help us out, please share out this podcast, this show on YouTube, on iTunes, on Spotify, on Verbal is the best kept secret out there in the world of business. Share it to your colleagues, your friends, your coworkers. Share it to your parents. Your parents will love this show. Get it out there, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you can. Please help us grow. Now, let us get back to our rock star guest, Mr. Alan Robert. To me, 
being an entrepreneur as is our guest is you know it's really amazing just hearing how he manages and balances everything with all the different things that he's doing it was pretty cool i mean yeah if you got the whole band thing going for about three decades like alan said you just can't say hey guys dudes i want to finish drawing my coloring book okay we're not gonna tour he's like no 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 i don't hold up the band duties and we'll you know, figure this out. I think he used the example of drawing from his iPad on the road. And that's really kind of cool because to me, that's being able to blend your agenda, your personal agenda of what you need to achieve to, to feel fulfilled and also be on the same page as the, your other businesses, as the other people that you depend on. And they also depend on you. And getting all that to mesh together, that is critical for success, especially in the music industry. We've heard countless stories of legendary bands falling apart because of egos or, you know, he wanted a tour, but they did it. Ex-guitarist wants to play every night, but the now 70-year-old plus singer needs to rest his voice for three plus days between shows. You know who I'm talking about. Okay, but <laughs> you get what I mean. Rock history is littered with this story. And for Alan and his bandmates to find a way to make it work for everybody, understanding people have spouses now and families, and they aren't the same that they were a few decades ago, able to just hit the road at the flip of a switch and go play. You know, like the story that they told us about their trip going out the play cross country for the first time. I mean, I love hearing that stuff. It just makes the whole experience sound so much more authentic to me when I get to hear how hard it was to get to where you're at. Now, what also amazes me is that he has taken his love of creation, his love of art, okay? I mean, without a doubt, Alan Robert is a creative business owner. He is a creative entrepreneur or creative, as so many people call them. And he's really taken this to a whole new level by hopping onto the NFT train, okay? Music and techs, they've always have gone hand in hand throughout the test of time. Not just music and tech, but art and tech. Art, tech, music. Same thing. They go hand in hand. It's always been that way. In fact, here's a tidbit for you because I've wrote an article on this uh, a couple years ago, which was the first song that was available as a digital download. You'll never guess what it was. It was in 1994 and it was called Head First by Aerosmith. It was near impossible to download because, you know, you're doing it through AOL, dial-up, demand was so much higher. It was pretty cool. But then even if you look at that time in Aerosmith's path, I mean, they had a lot of their VR-related videos from the Get a Grip album. So that's just one example. And if you want, go back to season one of Shark Bite Biz. Listen to my interview with Aerosmith's producer. He did John Lennon up until John's passing, Cheap Trick. 
and listen to Jack Douglas talk about how tech has always been at the forefront of the music industry and how it's changed between now and then. And it is, it, it's really amazing because the sounds we have, the recordings we have, the abilities that we have is all because of technology. I mean, even just the electric guitar evolving from Les Paul, how he turned the acoustic to an electric and got a totally new sound out of it. It's just really mind-blowing. And most people don't really think about it that this stuff really goes hand-to-hand. And that's why I think it's pretty gnarly how Alan was able to combine his unique art style, okay? Alan... You're watching this, and I hope you are. <laughs> if you're watching this, you have an incredible art style. It's something I find visually appealing. I don't know. Maybe that means I'm disturbed, but the images on the book, the images from your monster chompers, all those things, I find them to be awesome. And for you to be able to combine that unique art style in, into something like a monster chompers, to where you can get 10,000 unique digital collectibles. That's pretty pretty awesome. I, I love how you're mixing tech of NFT, non-fungible tokens, okay, which is part of Bitcoin, crypto, and all that stuff, how you're mixing that with your art style. And it's really what it's doing is, you know, you can love his art style and beauty of horror series, okay? You can love his art style, his creative style of life and agony. But the the monster chompers thing, getting on that NFT bandwagon is really opening up the door to a whole new generation, a whole new audience of your products, of your creativity, of your drawings, of all that stuff that you may not have been able to reach otherwise because Maybe Life of Agony isn't a draw to them. Maybe Beauty of Horror isn't a draw to them. But once they started getting into your Monster Chompers, they see what that's about. I mean, that's a gateway drug right there. I think that is powerful. That is smart. And that is how you branch your personal branding to really maximize the full potential. You know, real quick, I I did mention that Alan was... So kind to send me this book, gave me a little signature on it. And I really found it um, found it inspiring what he had told me during the interview as far as he's not, I think he called it a colorist. He's not a colorist. No, he draws the scenes. He draws the lines, but he allows other people to kind of finish the image of what it finally looks like and i think that is really cool because a lot of people with their egos or whatever it it holds them back no 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 no. this is mine this is what it's going to look like no and he loves seeing the pictures that everybody sends him about what they're doing with i guess he could say the guidelines that he set for them like hey here's the rules of the engagement color between the lines, make your own. And I, I, I was Googling this as well, too. I went down a little rabbit hole. 
there are some awesome, awesome pitchers out there. And that's where I think having that freedom and just, you know, being artistic, it, it, everything, it's just taking it to another level. Alan, you are somebody that ceases to surprise me. I wish you personally the best in all your endeavors. I am going to be supporting you. I am going to be getting your Monster Choppers NFT. I will, that will be, besides the NFTs that I already own of my own, you know, Strausser.eth, stuff like that, or get.crypto, things, you know, those uh, uh, wallet cryptos that I own, except for that, okay? This will be the first official NFT that I'm going to go out and purchase, and that's because I want to support you, buddy, because you are amazing. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Everybody out there, as we know, Alan has a million different things going on. So we got one link down bottom that we're going to put where you're going to be able to find everything that Alan's involved in, whether it's Life of Agony, whether it's Monster Choppers, or whether it is the beauty of horror, or more specifically, the beauty of horror five book that you can go out and get right now. So question of the day, what version of Alan Roberts inspires you more? Monster Chompers, Tech Guru, NFT, Life of Agony, bassist and songwriter, or the creator of the Beauty of Horror series of books? Which version do you like most? I think they all complement each other perfectly, but I'd love to hear your feedback. Hey, last thing, do you guys want to be in the show? If so, send me out an email, interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. Please don't forget to join the channel. If you're on YouTube, hit the join button. It's $3 a month to become a baby shark. If not, get the freshest zombie theme coffee on the face of the earth. Go to deadhousecoffee.com. Use code SHARK. You'll get 20% off. We'll get your money, but we'll put it to good use building this show, making it bigger and better each episode. Hey, you all know this by now, but I'm David Strausser. This is Shark Bite Biz. We'll see you all next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story.